Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Pod bless everybody. I'm your host of OPP, Corey Cambridge. And before we get started with this amazing episode, I want to tell you about my other show, Silent Giants. Silent Giants is a podcast that highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. Ever wondered who made the MTV logo? Did you know the person who wrote Earth, Wind & Fire's hit song September? Also wrote the theme song for the hit 90s TV show Friends? On Silent Giants, we learn more about these amazing people and dig deep to learn more about their most famous works. Be sure to check out Silent Giants on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Now, let me introduce you to our special guest of OPP. Hi, I'm Garth Mullins. I'm the host of Crackdown. And you know me, this is OPP, other people's podcasts. Pop bless everybody and welcome back to another episode of OPP, other people's podcasts, America's number one podcast discovery platform that highlights your favorite podcasters and the dope shows they created. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Our special guest this episode is Garth Mullins, host of the hit Canadian podcast, Crackdown, a monthly podcast about drugs, drug policy, and the drug war reported by drug users themselves. Each episode of Crackdown will tell the story of a community fighting for their lives. In this interview, we get to learn more about Garth, his personal battle with opioid use, how the crisis is affecting his native Vancouver, we get his podcaster's picks, and of course, we chat about his amazing podcast, Crackdown. Now, on to my exclusive interview with Garth Mullins. Yo, man, Garth, how are you, bro? You know, I'm good. I'm good. It's, uh, it's... It's always good to talk to other radio people, and um, yeah, I'm really stoked to be on the OPP. I'm a big podcast fan, obviously, and I listen to a lot of podcasts, man, and I'm just going to be dead ass with you. This is the most important, it's not even about the word favorite, it's about the word important. Crackdown is the most important podcast of 2019. Um, I, I heard about this through Archie Mann of Canada Lands Commons, and he was, uh, you were one of his podcasters picks and I go through and every person's podcasters picks. I listen to all the episodes and, um, you know, get, try to get the folks on the show. Crackdown is amazing. I just want to say, you know, pa bless you. Cause this is an amazing, amazing podcast. Wow. Corey, thanks very much. I, I'm, you know, I, I'm just, uh, I'm flattered. I, I, I love Archie's work and I, I heard your interview with him and, uh, I, I just, uh, it's, it's great to be part of that conversation. We just kind of started this little radio show up here and, you know, I played in, in punk bands and little local bands. And so you get used to, Oh, here's a dozen people showed up at the crappy bar where you're playing. So you kind of, you kind of have low expectations of an audience, like maybe a few people listen, like maybe my friends or something. And then when people actually listen to the thing that you're making, you're kind of unprepared for it in a weird way, you know? Oh, 100% man. It it boggles my mind. Even, with my uh, with OPP, when people reach out 
out of nowhere and say, like, yeah, I want to be a guest on the show. And I'm like, how did you even hear about it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I'm just an independent guy here in Brooklyn. So, man, that t- I, I, you mentioned that you have a, a background in music. Tell me more about your background and, and who Garth Mullen is as a, as a human, as a man. Uh, just, uh, I mean, my background in music is pretty, like, I'm self-taught uh, radio journalism and music. So I'm kind of uh, still learning, I, I guess, would be the best way to say it. So I'm a pretty utilitarian guitar player, but I've always thought of music as a, a good vector for politics. And, um, you know, uh, so I've, I played in bands and, uh, you know, toured around a little bit. Uh, I played in, uh, in um, Alphabet City in, in New York in a, in a club called ABC No Rio. Uh, back in the day, it's near Tompkins Square Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I ever played in Brooklyn, but um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a good way to get to meet people and... Uh, you know, it's a, a good creative outlet. So yeah, I guess, but I guess my, my, in a broader sense, my background is, uh, you know, I've been an opioid user for pretty much my whole adult life. Um, a big chunk of that, most of that would have been uh, injection heroin and I'm on methadone now. And uh, I lost half of the people I came up with, like half of the people I came up with are gone, dead. And, um, and I guess out of like anger and grief, and survivor's guilt i just i felt like i had to put some of my skills toward that and and kind of mix up some activism and some radio and see if uh see if something couldn't come out of that um what what, what was your personal uh what was the culture like and, and how did you first you know become a user how did that even happen and what was the culture like around you at that time well you know i was pretty young as a teenager uh i was um you know, I was pretty, pretty alienated. I, I, I sort of was carrying around a lot of trauma from earlier stuff that I never figured out very much. So, uh, didn't, didn't feel uh, like the world was where I was supposed to be. It just, I, I felt like an alien and, you know, so you kind of, you get messed up, you get drunk, you do a bunch of drugs. And then I did heroin and I, and all of a sudden that howling alienation, that, that just that big tidal wave of crap that bangs into you every minute it just was, was switched off it just stopped and um i can't remember i can't remember exactly the first time like i don't have this story but boy i sure i sure do remember sitting in um uh you know and i guess near um near larkin street in san francisco and i just had a load of black tar heroin on board and the sun was shining you know and which which isn't much in san francisco you know it's a it's like a gauzy kind of a light and uh i just felt like hey this feels normal this must be what everybody else in the world feels like all the time uh that's all right uh, how many years ago was this oh man this was in the 90s long time ago it's like when when a human like me would still be tolerated in san francisco i think is that where you're- I mean, I, 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 it's, I know there's still lots, lots of people who live there from all, all kinds of backgrounds, but it's changed. The city's changed a lot since, since then. Are, are you originally from there? No, I was just, I was just living in California. I, actually, it was, it was after I was there. Um, in the years after the big earthquake of '89, there was a lot of buildings that were um, earthquake damaged and abandoned, but not knocked down. So you could pretty much live rent free and. Um, yeah, I was working at a club called the Gilman Street Project, where where bands played, and um, yeah, I was just trying to, you know, figure out what I was what I was supposed to do with myself. Through your journey, you know, with, with opioid use, 
Tell me the trials and tribulations of, of trying to, to wean yourself off or get off of, of heroin. Yeah. Um, so the, the first thing I did, I guess, you know, you sort of realize suddenly, oh, I'm wired. Like I, if I stop, I'll be sick. And, and that's always a little surprise, even though you've, you've watched all the after school specials and heard the warnings from Nancy Reagan or whoever else, you know, or dare at your school, you're just like, uh-oh, uh, I'm in over my head. So then you, you get a plan to just quit cold turkey. And that is excruciating because not only is it, uh, you know, a hundred times worse than the worst flu you've ever had physically, but all that, all that howling alienation I was talking about, that all crashes down back on you right at the same time. And, uh, you know, so I toughed that out. I tried to a couple times and then uh, lots of times because of money or, or, you know, maybe being incarcerated, you don't, you don't always have a choice about that, but, uh, it never really stuck. And then my, my ability to go through it, to white knuckle through it just evaporated. Like I just, once you know how bad it is, you, you, you sort of don't, you, you don't have the resolve anymore to, to withstand it. Uh, so yeah, I, I, my, my weaning myself off, uh, started to change form and I, and I was trying to, um, you know, use, use less or use more carefully or, or substitute it for something else. And, Eventually, what what worked for me was was methadone, but but methadone is also a drug. It's an opioid. It's you know it's like a nicotine patch. You're still getting nicotine. It's just you're not smoking anymore. Um, and so that's that's what I take. You know I take every morning. It just you know an hour or two before we started talking here, I took took my methadone, and uh, it's it stops you from feeling that dope sickness. It stops you from feeling that craving, and and eventually you you don't. You know, if if you if you sort it out right, you don't need to use uh, heroin. What is the misconception around the opioid crisis from your personal perspective? You feel like people don't know or don't understand. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting connection, right? Because uh, if you're if you're black or indigenous up in Canada, it's uh, you know like um, Native American, but um, indigenous in Canada, uh, you're way more likely if you're a drug user to get um, into some kind of um, situation with law enforcement, you know, because uh, just like in the US, the law enforcement up here, the cops are really, they're, they're just all about the racial profiling and all that. And so they, they stop and card or stop and search people of color way more than they do um, people who aren't. And um, so that that puts, uh, that puts a whole bunch of extra pressure on people because uh, as a drug user, you're criminalized, and um, you have those added layers of extra extra attention from law enforcement if you're a person of color. And um, when you're criminalized, that means you are trying to hide from the cops. So if you're using drugs, you might be uh, you might be trying to use more quickly or more furtively. Um, so you can't be careful. You can't do a little try a little bit first and see how strong it is. Um, the cops are always arresting dealers. So the source where you get the drugs from is always being disrupted. So the quality is always changing. So we, we've um, tested a whole bunch of drugs up here, a whole bunch of uh, what's sold as heroin. And we found in it um, pig dewormer and a household cleanser and brick dust and uh, concrete and all kinds of stuff, always lots of fentanyl and mostly not any heroin. And that's, uh, that's because of the criminalization. So, I mean, I guess the thing that people don't realize is how police make uh, – the, the lives of drug users so much more dangerous, so much more deadly. And then once you get into those, um, 
situations with law enforcement. You know, if, if you're uh, carted off to jail, you, you spend a weekend or you spend longer there, you get out, your tolerance has changed. Yeah, you're still going to use, but maybe you don't have a sense of what's dangerous for you or as clear a sense anymore. Uh, so that's dangerous too. So a lot of people um, have had interactions with law enforcement really uh, shortly before they've overdosed and died. And so the cops are making things way worse. They're they're causing this crisis. They're exacerbating the crisis. Uh, what is the drug what is the drug culture specifically like in Vancouver? Well, um, we're Port City. Uh, this is where the drug war uh, really got going in North America. Actually, uh, so we we started to outlaw hard drugs in Canada um, before you did in the U.S. So in in 1907, here uh, just about a kilometer from where I am right now. There is a, a big, uh, like white racist riot, like a pogrom of of anti-immigrant um, residents who were just upset. They were they were sort of taken against the the Chinese workers that were had building had been building the railroad, and so they you know they had a big rally at City Hall. It was very official, and then they all went and smashed up businesses and everything. And then some government officials came out here from the capital back east. And they wanted to assess the damage and do we need to compensate anybody? And so they were kind of looking at the businesses and they realized, oh, there's uh, there's opium uh, production going on here. Like people are smoking opium. And the report even said this is a threat to, to white women and girls. And so shortly after that, this was sort of one of Canada's first big drug panics. Uh, the Opium Act is passed in 1908. So 1907, people just smoke opium. 1908. It's illegal, and now you got to figure out, uh, you know, stronger, more concentrated, more bang for the buck kind of a way to transport the stuff. It's kind of like, you know, before alcohol prohibition, everyone drank beer, and then the day after, it's going to be moonshine and all that. So it's like an arms race of stronger dope ever since then. So you get, uh, you know, from from smoking opium to heroin to injecting heroin to um, what they call China White, which is strong heroin in the 90s. That was the first overdose crisis in Canada that, that I went through. And then you get fentanyl and carfentanyl, and each is stronger. And the more um, they're illegal and the more uh, the police chase them down, uh, the stronger they get. So the, the, the drug culture here is it never stands still. There's always like a next stronger thing. And at the same time, uh, what's specific about the drug culture in Vancouver, at least the the people I'm around, is that um, during that first overdose crisis here in the 90s, people started organizing. So we formed a drug users union and started making demands of government and started actually coming out and saying, yep, uh, yeah, we use drugs. Yeah, we're, we're dope fiends. Um, here we are. And it's kind of, it's kind of revolutionary because – you're supposed to feel pretty ashamed about that and not ever talk about it. Certainly not publicly because your life will suffer. It's hard to rent an apartment or get a job. If people, if people think you're, uh, um, you know, you're a drug user, like, Oh, you're a junkie. You're going to steal things from work and wreck the apartment or something. And, um, so that was, that was the drug culture I knew is where, uh, people started to organize and push back. And, uh, that meant doing things that were, that were not legal and not permitted like this the first safe injection sites in vancouver thus the first in north america were opened illegally without permission the first needles that i ever got were distributed by people who worked in the medical field but who stole stuff from work and gave it out in their backpacks 
Mm-hmm. And that was true here and in San Francisco. People people did that too. And so that kind of civil disobedience, lawbreaking, you know, I think that's common to every struggle, every group of people who wants to fight for their rights and and get some dignity. I, I just I see that that's like a that's like the way it works, you know, the way history moves. Wow. Um, Garth, we're gonna take a quick break. When we get back, we're gonna get we're gonna do a deep dive into your podcast, Crackdown. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. And uh, Garth, we're back. I want to ask you a question. Take it way, way, way back. Uh, How did you first hear of the medium of podcasting? Uh, I I always liked radio. You know, ever since I was a kid, I listened to uh, shortwave and and um you know like just whatever weird radio signals you could find and uh i i guess i first became a po- aware of podcasting you know 10 or or maybe more years ago and and i um i can't remember what the first podcast i listened to was it might have been savage love you know uh dan savage's podcast about sex and stuff and, yeah um and uh, I just thought, oh yeah, podcasting on the radio, on the com- or you know, <laughs> podcasting is actually radio in the computer. And but you don't need a radio station, you don't need a transmitter, you don't need hardly anything. And um, I, I've, I'd always thought that was a good, uh, a good kind of medium from there. Uh, did you ever think that you would become a podcaster yourself? Yeah, it's it's sort of uh, it seemed inevitable in a weird way. Uh, I was a freelance. Um, I guess, writer and radio producer. So I made documentaries for the uh, equivalent of NPR up here sometimes. Uh, and and eventually I, j- I thought that um, I-, I would wind up doing that. And so I was I was still learning and, and kind of teaching myself and, and we I still am. But uh, I, I, I felt the call from a long way off. Um. For the audience, I'm, I'm sure, you know, at this point in the interview and, and from, you know, the introduction that I'm going to give, they're going to have a, a pretty good sense of what Crackdown's about. But from your words, can you give me an elevator pitch uh, of Crackdown? Sure. It's drug users covering the drug war as war correspondents. So we're, we're looking at the drug war, at the overdose crisis, and trying to put the tools of science and investigative journalism into the hands of the people who are in the bullseye of this thing. What was the origin and the light bulb moment for you to to start this podcast? So I was t- I was telling you about how there's uh, this drug user activism culture in Vancouver, and so we sort of uh, have to push our way into some official meetings, uh, you know, with government people where where health stuff is decided and and policing stuff is discussed. So we kind of badger our way into those meetings, but once you're in the door, uh, they don't believe you. You know, they look at you. Like, uh, what kind of scam are you pulling? You guys are all always up to something like they just, you can just tell when someone doesn't believe you, you know? And, uh, so I met this guy, uh, Dr. Ryan McNeil, who is, uh, you know, a research scientist at the, uh, faculty of medicine at the university of British Columbia. And he did believe the things we were saying. And in fact, he would, he would be willing to study some of them with us, you know, to do research and his findings, tended to support some of the things we were experiencing as drug users. 
you know, some of the negative outcomes of, of different policies from the government. And so we tried taking him with us to the meetings. And so all of a sudden the government wasn't so quick to, you know, basically roll their eyes at us. We had a little bit more legitimacy. And I was walking out the door with him one time and we were kind of talking. And so they're listening to us, but we're still not getting anything done with them. They're still not, you know, helping us out in, in the ways that we were looking for. Uh, but we said, oh, so this might not be, you know, very effective at changing policy, but it might make good radio. And uh, Ryan was like, you know, we could we could probably find some academic funding to support something like that. And that's where the idea was born. What has the response been in Canada to this podcast? Well, so, yeah, I just like I was saying, I, I don't know. I didn't know if anybody was going to listen. You know, um, but we we went to uh, the top of iTunes in Canada really fast. And uh, so that that really surprised me. And um, today, actually, this morning, uh, our producer, Sam and Ryan, are going to Chicago to the Third Coast Festival to pick up an award. We 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 won something there, which is it's an extremely prestigious um, radio award. It's given out there uh, once a year. And so we're we're super humbled and, and stoked that they would even hear us and, and, you know, listen and like it enough. Uh, of course, like I would go and, and, um, but we have an editorial board also of, of drug users who, who sort of oversee the show, but we can't get across the border because the U S does not, uh, welcome you in if you have a criminal record, uh, very easily. So, uh, we, we sent our producer Sam and uh, Ryan, who were the people we we were sure that could get across the line there. Uh, that just represents a kind of response that I was uh, unprepared for. I mean, I've I have been just moved and humbled also by the people who are uh, drug users who are living the crisis, who listen to the podcast and write me, and um, they're they don't have the culture that we do around here. They don't have the the drug user union and they don't have sort of comrades that they're relying on and struggling on. So many people experience this crisis alone, you know, like by themselves, just struggling to get by, or maybe they're um, a family member of someone who's died and they feel alone and in grief. And um, the fact that those people, uh, you know, get in touch and listen is, is really moving. I, I always feel when I write back, I always feel like my words are so inadequate to, to match their experience and they're reaching out. But I mean, that's, that's probably the most um, important thing to me uh, about who listens is the, is the people who, you know, who are, who are living this. And then uh, sometimes we're able to give information that people can go then take into their lives and change them and, and, and make something a little better out of it. And when I hear about that, I'm just like, Oh shit, that's why we do this. What is the message and the intention that, you know, you want to get across with Crackdown? Well, I mean, I, I we wrote the the theme song that you hear at the top of the show, and I think that we try to capture that. We try to capture the the spirit of resolve and anger and urgency with that. You know, the first the first thing you hear of the theme is feedback. Uh, you know, guitar feedback, and um, we try to communicate that kind of urgency, but also like a, a sort of um, a roughness like it's not a it's not as pretty a song as they have at the start of the daily <laughs> the new york times podcast for example um which i do like that uh theme actually but uh 
So it's it's like we are trying to communicate that. And then throughout the show, we try to identify um, a, a few things. Like the overdose crisis is not a force of nature. It's a force of policy. So it's not just something that is happening for no reason. There are powerful people who are responsible for the continuation of the crisis. And those people have titles and occupy positions. And uh, those are the villains. And we need to point out who they are. And there are also people who are fighting back. And sometimes we win. And when those victors emerge, we want to celebrate them. And we also want there to be demands, like things that we're calling on the government to do that aren't just made up um, by me behind the mic, but reflect a real uh, community desire for something. So that uh, rootedness in the community is the, I guess, the, the last thing I would, I would say that I want people to feel is that this doesn't come from um, just a couple people. This is the, this is the effort of, a, of an editorial board, which has got eight people on it. And um, well, it has seven now, actually, because we, like, we did lose uh, Sharice Kiwat and died in uh in february in february yeah um and uh so we want we want people to feel that rootedness and that community accountability um garth personally um you know what have you learned about yourself um from this podcast and um you know how has this podcast helped you when your personal uh struggle with opioid use me and me and my uh, me and my opioid use have kind of reached a détente, like a peaceful coexistence right now. So it's got a, a certain stability to it. Um, my uh, my Twitter friend Meg says, uh, you know, there's this expression: you got a monkey on your back when you're when you're wired. It's kind of an old expression. I love the old timey expressions for drug stuff. Like people used to call heroin horse. I wish I was around in those days, but. Uh, um, so they, yeah, they, there's this expression, you got a monkey on your back and, and Meg says, you got to train the monkey. Um, you know, it's, it's lovely to, to have the idea of getting the monkey off your back entirely or away from you or not being pestered by a monkey anymore. But, um, you know, for those of us who've been like a lot of years, uh, with this particular monkey, we kind of got to make some peace with it. So, I mean, that's where I am. But what I've learned about myself is that I've gone through a lot of my life just, um, not examining things like stuff happens and I'm like, well, that sucked on in the next thing. Let's not think about that. And you kind of repress and you throw that stuff away. And suddenly I have to go back and think about it and think about it in ways that could make a little, um, scene on, on a radio show. So I have to kind of remember, oh yeah, what kind of shirt was that guy wearing or, or something like that. And it really brings back stuff. And so I realized things have happened to me that I kind of wasn't consciously thinking had happened to me. Like, for example, I myself overdosed, um, but because I don't really have clear memories from that whole day, I never really, I never really thought, oh, I'm, I'm one of those people who's overdosed until uh, this summer and we're making this show and I'm talking to some of the people who were around then and they're like, oh yeah. Um, like I remember I was told, uh, yeah, you, you were in the back of an ambulance and then you got out and you kind of talked your way away from them and you walked around the corner and then you, we found you like lying on the pavement around the corner. And, and I just, I don't remember any of that stuff. And I, I probably never would have had I not gone dredging it up. So yeah, I, <laughs> that's not, it's not great stuff to find out about your yourself, but on the other hand, Hey, you know, I, I, like I'm just lucky to be alive. I'm, stoked to be around uh, i guess i'm resilient enough to keep rolling so th those are good things to learn about yourself too wow 
Uh, Garth, we are at a point of the show called our podcasters picks. Now, this is when I ask the guests of today's show to give me their top three favorite podcasts that they enjoy that we should be listening to. So, Garth, take it away. I'm going to say um, the the one uh, show that people should listen to is Thunder Bay. Uh, it's a podcast about a town in Canada that is so um, – it's it's so it's so important and it's so relatable to uh, uh, people living in in the U.S. too. Um, it's it's a town in Ontario where a lot of Indigenous kids uh, come from more remote reserve communities or what's called reservations, I guess, in the U.S. and they go to school there. And these kids uh, keep winding up dead in the river. And the town is just full of nasty racism and corruption, and also full of people who are trying to change that stuff and fight back. And um, my friend and radio producer, uh, Ryan McMahon, uh, makes the podcast, and uh, it's fantastic. You should give it a listen. Uh, it's Yeah, it's really good. Um, there's a BBC podcast over the summer, I think, and it was called Forest 404. And uh, it, it's just a, it's a story. It's, it, you know, it's sort of fi- it's fiction, uh, speculative fiction about the future um, where there's no nature. And this, there's a sound recording of, of a forest and it's illegal and hearing it awakens this, um, this longing in people for, for a different world. And so it's, it's quite revolutionary to hear this, this sound. And so it's the, it's the struggle of the people who found this sound to get it to other people and to outrun the authorities. But the sound design on the show is just great. Uh, I really liked just listening to it for the sound design. So that was um, that was very cool. And, um, I would, I would also just check out cited media. They are, um, they are the, the hired guns that we have that help us manage the incredible volume of tape and edit the interviews and get it into a nice order and make sure we're putting it up in all the platforms. They're really, they're, they're the infrastructure of this. I mean, this is, and they're, um, you know, Sam Fenn and I have a, have really a storytelling, uh, cult, I guess, of trying to figure out story structure and all that stuff. Um, or, or I guess I'm joining his, uh, but anything, anything that cited media makes, I think is, is worth uh, giving a listen. The cited podcast itself is about, um, uh, ideas that emerge from academia, but aren't, aren't really what you think. Okay. Uh, and that, and that's a, that's an odd, uh, an odd take as well, but, um, yeah, I, I really enjoy it. And, uh, so I, I think that, um, those are, those are three, but, it's it's very hard to choose. It's very hard to choose favorites. I would also add that um, in the states, Narcotica um, is a podcast about the overdose crisis uh, in the U.S. And um, you know, it's it's very different from what we do, but it's 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 a fantastic podcast. And they have uh, a real like you can really go through their back catalog and and pick the issues that you want to know more about. And it's uh, it's it's you know three there's three journalists that host that thing, and they really um, they really got it buttoned up there. And uh, wait, that was four. I said four. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, man. It's all right. It's all right. It's some. It's some kind of metric uh, imperial weights and measures conversion problem. Here, I think, <laughs> uh, <you know? laughs> and uh, and Garth, why do you podcast, my man? Uh, well, you know, I, I was a uh, I was a freelancer. Like I said, I made I made radio documentaries for the public radio here. Um, they didn't want this idea. Uh, I mean, not really. I, like we, we ended up going with a much 
better version of it. So maybe I just didn't pitch it very well. I, I am, I'm terrible at pitching, uh, articles and ideas. It's just, I'm not good. Uh, I had a, I had a, I was a writer for, um, a local, a newspaper here, uh, like a, you know, big circulation, 300,000. I was a, a columnist, a weekly columnist and, and believe me that pays poorly. And then they fired me because, um, it's a right-wing newspaper and I'm basically a socialist. Uh, <laughs> and then, and then haha, their, their newspaper went out of business uh, a month later. <clears throat> so, um, it's just at one point you're just like, shit, you know, nobody else has got the right platform to do this. I guess we're going to have to do it ourselves. And that's, that's really the tradition with drug user activism too. It's like, we know no one's coming to save us. We know no one's going to do it for us. So we have to do it ourselves. And that's sort of like the, the punk rock spirit that I grew up with too. It's like, so you don't really know how to play your instruments, right? You get in a band, you do what you can you kind of, you learn along the way. And, um, you know, that's, I guess that's just, that's just why and how I do it, you know? Um, Garth Mullins, man, let me tell you, Crackdown has changed the way that I see podcasting, man. It, it's unbelievable. And you have a gift, I'm telling you. And I, I really hope that this comes through in this interview, how much of a fan I am of Crackdown and the work that you're doing, man. And, and God bless you, brother. And this is incredible. Uh, thanks very much for having me. I, I just, I, I love the breadth of interviews that you have on your show and, and, and keep it up. Keep it up. Thank you so much. Pa bless you. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Cheers. Take it easy. Later, guy. Thank you all so much for checking out another episode of OPP and to our special guest, Garth Mullins. You can find Crackdown on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to support Crackdown by following the show on Patreon. This episode was mixed by Joshua Coleman. Music for this episode was produced by Richie Quake. And are you down with OPP? If so, be sure to leave us a five-star rating in the Apple app. And let me know your favorite podcast in the review section. Lastly, before we get out of here, be sure to check out my other show, Silent Giants, a podcast that highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. And you can find Silent Giants on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Pod bless y'all. Till next time. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 